It's obvious that design is all around us, but how designers think through their work is often a mystery. Yet, understanding that process can fuel our own curiosity and creativity. Adam Fromey hosts Thinking Through Design as a series of in-depth discussions to reveal the designer's mindset and realize its value. I have been looking forward to this conversation um, and to talk to you about some of your recent work. Um, and I think there's a really interesting intersection between this idea of design for yourself mm -hmm. and what you've been doing with data visualization mm -hmm. in the classroom. And so I think we should just jump straight into it. Sure. Um, and I think the first place to, to start is maybe to define or give description to what data visualization is in the classroom, hmm. and then we can go from there. Sure, sure. So um, the class is actually called Information Design, but we do uh, projects in information design and data visualization. It is to, I try to cover the entire um, process of uh, the design, which starting from collecting data to um, analyzing data and uh, visualizing data. And uh, the idea is that data will reveal some patterns, show some connections, and uh, of course, tell a story. As you're talking about that, it makes me think that that's almost three separate design challenges. <laughs> they are, they are. One of just figuring out how to collect the data. Yes. How to process it, and then how to display it yes. for an audience. Yes. Um, is that how you approach it in the classroom, or is it more of a, a, a singular activity? So it's, a, I would say, three phases. Yeah. That's how we do it. Um, so in my class, I'm all about teaching the nuts and bolts of data visualization and uh, information design, but it's not right more than just theories. Like in all our studio classes, we usually take a very hands-on learning from doing this kind of approach. So it's about how data can actually tell a story. And in my class, especially, it's about the data comes to our personal growth and wellness. I have uh, my students track their own behavior, and uh, it's not just any like random stuff. We just we uh, are talking about data rooted in um, positive psychology, like uh, the gratitude journaling, like jotting down. Um, it's about jotting down three things that you feel grateful for each day. It's about acts of kindness, both given and received. And uh, it's also about uh, mindfulness, setting goals, time management. So they track the data uh, from anywhere from a week to a month. And then we dive into analyzing it. And so we will talk about some strategies of uh, analyzing data, sorting data, um, categorizing data, both quantified and qualified. And then um, after that step, we will um, talk about how to visualize it to tease out some patterns and insights that really shine a light on your personal journey. And of course, the these processes usually are iterative. So when we are um, trying to identify a visual method to um, showcase your data, and a lot of time it means that you have to go back to your data sets to do a further um, to, to further analyze it and to further clean yeah. it out to make it better for visualization. Yeah, I think um, two words that caught my ear when you're describing that is this idea of 
being able to bring forth those patterns and trends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important component of data visualizations and design in general is Hmm. bringing to life the invisible. Yes, totally. And and making sense of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because oftentimes words, numbers, things like that, it's difficult to sort of piece together mm-hmm. or, or you're looking at it through a singular lens. And so what graphic design and, and the sort of visual presentation can do yep. is give an alternative lens in which you different things are revealed. Mm-hmm. But before we, I feel like I'm, I'm jumping the gun and talking about the end of the process. Let's, let's back up because you're, I think we need to give time to talk about phase one. <laughs> in that sort of data collection. Yeah. Because um, I think it's really interesting um, framing your the work that the students are doing around their own lives. Mm-hmm. How did that come about for you? Um, so I've always been really passionate about um, well-being and holistic wellness, not just personally, but also as an educator. And I think it's very, very important for college students who are just stepping in stepping into adulthood to really get to know themselves and understand what is important to them as an individual before delving into this complex issues of the world there are obviously loads of public data that's out there on all sorts of topics but in my classes i decided to focus our data sources on ourselves and uh I, I think this is the best way for um, students to learn this whole process from collecting data to how to best to use of the data. So, and all it's uh, again, it's not just any random data. These are we're talking about data that is uh, within the framework of uh, positive psychology. So they track different aspects of their well-being. Um, from gratitude to time management over a period of time. So they get to experience this process from gathering and organizing and analyzing and visualizing. Yeah, I think the the personalization part is really interesting about one. Mm-hmm. Certainly put, puts a level of ownership that's different versus if it's just sort of a data set from a Google search. Yeah. Um, but also, Connecting it to this sort of transition period for them, you're talking about that, of mm-hmm. where they're maybe coming from. If they're mm-hmm. coming from a, a high school curriculum, it's very regular. Yeah. There's oftentimes parental involvement and family involvement, and things are very familiar to them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so now that they have are in college and are entering into this sort of more open-ended, less familiar, mm-hmm. of giving them this opportunity Certainly, it's sort of a, a secondary outcome, mm-hmm. but giving them this opportunity to think about their patterns, mm-hmm. their behaviors, mm-hmm. um, and the methods that you're using for collecting data mm-hmm. are not necessarily quantitative, mm-hmm. yeah. but more of this qualitative information. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think students are not unfamiliar with the idea of self-tracking mm-hmm. because uh, right, the availability of smartphones and, and uh, wearable devices, lots of students have those. And uh, so they use them to track steps, heart rate, etc. cetera. Um, but I do encourage them to track and log the data manually because when I think when it comes to the whole quantified self, 
concept. It's not just about the numbers; it's the story behind those numbers that really counts. The context, the little details that paint the bigger picture about your habits and thoughts. So I usually give them a few pointers on what to jot down, along with the numbers.、Uh, think about stuff like where you are, who you are with, what you are seeing or sensing, how you are feeling, even the weather. Let's say, for example, if you are tracking your activity instead of just jotting down eating out, you would also write down things like I went out. Have dinner with my best friends to celebrate finishing the first week of the class, and we were laughing about、um, old times, for example.、Mm-hmm. So it's those little bits of context that really build the narrative, and they tell a richer story about who you are and help you understand yourself way better. It's almost a, a data-driven journaling. Totally, to, to where、yes. you have more of that contextual information, and it allows them to sort of. Think about data and documentation in a different way. Yeah. Do students struggle with that? I I can imagine it might be a challenge for students because there is a reflective nature to this. Oh yeah. And, and having them to sort of be more acutely aware of things that they might not be behaviors, patterns,、uh-huh. those things that、uh-huh. maybe they might be discouraged by when once they see it in a booklet、mm. of like. <laughs> Oh, I'm not doing that very much. I I feel like I'm doing it more, or、uh-huh. where those sort of disconnects might be. Do you encounter that in the classroom? Um, I, I think maybe some, yeah. And because I I can see it from their data collection results, and、uh, it's really not as uh um like the detail information as I encourage them to do. It's still very, um. Abstract in a way,、yeah. and、uh, so with the project itself, it's a、uh, since it's a creative project that there are different ways to approach it. So if students who don't feel comfortable of、uh, jotting down the details, that's totally fine too. And uh, however, um, I do encourage them to maintain this non-judgmental and non-reactive mindset when. While they're tracking their data, and、uh, it's about being objective and honest with yourself. And、uh, if there's something that you don't feel comfortable sharing or showing, and that's totally fine. And、uh, I ask them to use coding systems to keep certain data points private, or just leaving them out out of the visualizing visualization part. And、uh, Respecting privacy is very important, and there is always some way that we can、um, finding the right approach, the most、uh, appropriate approach for you to visualize your data. Yeah, and and coding is always an important part of data collection, just because it's a shorthand.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It can be more efficient. Yes.、Um, so、mm-hmm. it's good practice to do that, and、mm-hmm. really, there's there isn't a, the collection is just for yourself. Yeah. For、mm-hmm. for the individual. Yeah. And so when that starts to translate into phase two,、mm-hmm. and into the interpretation, yeah, which is a really important part of the design process—not just sort of、mm-hmm. showing exactly what you collected, but、mm-hmm. how you show it, yeah, and realizing where you can start to value different things、yeah. and, and and put into that. I'm curious how that plays out. 
um, mm-hmm. for the students. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, this idea of how does this idea of mindfulness mm-hmm. and being thoughtful about your own work and your own patterns and own behavior mm-hmm. start to translate as they're interpreting and understanding what they collected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that analyzing, actually, when you were asking me about the challenges, I found that the analyzing part is much more challenges to mm. challenging to the students than the tracking part. And for tracking, I mean, the most that people will do is kind of like journaling, like we mentioned, it's uh, very narrative based. And uh, but most students don't have this um, experience of analyzing um, qualitative data. So we talked about some um, strategies, methods of uh, analyzing qualitative data. The nice thing is the data tracking period in the class for the project's sake, it's not very long. It usually goes from one week to one month of time. So it's not that much of the data. So we will, um, it's, uh, we just manually coding the an, um, narrative based data and then putting into, put them into different categories, which isn't that much of a work. And uh, so, in the class, we chat about those um, positive psychology techniques and ideas like the mindfulness that you mentioned. And the nice thing is a lot of the students these days already know a bit about them and some even practice meditations or um, gratitude journal. And uh, and I'm not a psychologist, so I don't pretend <laughs> to be one. And we just scratch the surface talking about what these concepts are, what do they mean, and how they might help us to become better designers. Uh, Be mindful, for example, is all about heightened awareness and the sensitivity, and which is huge for creativity. Absolutely. It, yeah, it opens your mind to new perspectives and ideas. And when you approach design problems mindfully, you start seeing solutions you might never have thought of before. And being mindful also leads to kind of building the connections, which is what creativity is all about. And that's how we start to think systematically on complex problems. And plus, the mindfulness really amps up your self-awareness and empathy, which is also key in understanding what users needs and how they might react to your designs. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think... And my definition of mindfulness mm-hmm. <laughs> is really giving yourself permission to have time yeah. just to consider and be in the present Yes. Um, without a specific aim. Yes. And I think that's the hook yes. that often mm-hmm. gets missed um, that's sort of different than like meditation. Yes. Where it's more purpose driven. Exactly. Uh, of just being able to sit and really tune in or calibrate your sensitivities, your mm-hmm. your senses. Yeah. Um, because that is so critical in the design process of being able to see things that other people aren't seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you have something new to offer, right? Yeah. That, that sense of value yeah. and contribution to the team or the individual project that you're working on. Very much so. Um, mm-hmm. In the classes I teach, I mm-hmm. normally dedicate the first 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. to what I call show and tell, mm-hmm. which is really just I want the students 
bringing things in, mm -hmm. their ideas mm -hmm. from the world around them. I call mm -hmm. it the good, bad, and ugly of design. Mm -hmm. um, I want to hear about their experiences. Mm -hmm. They can be small little annoyances. Yeah. My alarm clock's too loud. Yeah. Um, or, or sort of connected to these bigger social, societal things. Uh -huh. And I repeatedly tell them it's just training their eyes to look. Oh, totally. It's just training mm -hmm. their sensitivities to not mm -hmm. sort of overlook the things that become familiar, mm -hmm. um, but to see those inconveniences, those little barriers, whether it's actual or perceived, mm -hmm. as opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and the challenge for them is one part is just to be aware. Yes. But then the other part is I want them to consider it. Yes. So when they do come into class, we can we can talk about it, and they mm -hmm. they can bring forth not just sort of the problem, but maybe what's the alternative, mm -hmm. right? And that sort of optimistic view that designers have. Yeah, yeah. What would you do differently? Um, and I think it's been a good exercise. Mm -hmm. um, students generally start off kind of tentative. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the semester. Of like, I'm not really sure what you're asking me to talk about. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not something that I call on students. It's, it's voluntary. Uh -huh. But throughout the semester, it kind of builds momentum. Yes. Because I can start to see that students are trying. Mm -hmm. it, and it is a process that mm -hmm. has to be trained. It's a skill that has to be developed. Very much um, so. And so I think that's a really important thing for designers to have in their tool bag mm -hmm. um the sense of newness yes um looking at things as it was yes. for the first time right all of those sort of yes. cliches that designers throw yeah. around um but there is something to that yes um mm -hmm. and i think the the complement or the contrast that you're talking about between the wearables mm -hmm. to what it is that they're seeing, mm -hmm. what their senses are bringing in. Mm -hmm. That contrast starts to become really interesting, I'm sure, for the students to work with. Mm -hmm. In my own life, a story that I was sharing with you earlier is my watch gives me a sleep score. Yes. And so when I wake up in the morning, um, I'm like, oh, how did I sleep? And I look to my watch first. Right. And then it's sort of like, oh, it's a 59? Like, I thought yeah. it was a good night's sleep. Yeah. A and realizing my own personal calibration of what I thought, I was like, oh, I thought I had a good night's sleep. Yeah. And then my watch is saying something different. Yeah. And uh -huh. there's a disconnect there. Yes. Um, and so it's like, which one do I believe? <laughs> <laughs> right? Do uh -huh. I believe my watch or do I believe myself? Uh -huh. um, and it puts us in these uh -huh. uncomfortable positions because there is a sense of confidence that we have in numbers, uh -huh. there, uh, that uh -huh. there's a right answer, yes. right? It, mm -hmm. Numbers feel absolute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I think there's a tendency for people to lean on those right. versus these qualitative things that you're talking about yeah. that are anchored in this perception, this uh -huh. understanding, this sensitivity. Yeah. I could imagine it being a challenge Yeah. For, uh -huh. for students to start to think about things in a qualitative way over yeah. a quantitative way or at yeah. least having to balance those two things yeah. together um, yeah. i would say like in the class especially with the project we probably putting more emphasis on the qualitative side yeah. of things rather than the quantitative side of things and uh so i mean you talked about the way of we look and how we 
look and what we are seeing. We so in the at the beginning of the class we do talk about um, theories in um, perception and cognition, and uh, so we talked about those case studies of uh, how our perceptions could be influenced by the context, by our memory, and by um, basically all the surrounding environment and uh, your own knowledge of things. And uh, so I really hope those theory kind of also, right, it's the summarize of studies really highlighting those um, things that students should pay attention to and how could also make them feel more aware of uh, how their perception could be very different depending on the history, depending on the environment. So um, we talked about mindfulness. The self-awareness is highly related to that, which is also a big one in um, what this project is about. And uh, so it is about knowing what you're good at and what you're not so good at. So <laughs> when you are like tuning to your own biases and uh, thought patterns, you can make choices that are more objective and which is super important in design, right? Where you got to balance your own preference with what the user needs and what the stakeholders needs and the practical constraints. Yeah. So um, being aware of yourself also means that I think you could be more open to feedback and be more open to learning. So um, yeah, I think that almost even happens in in both the second and third phase as you're yeah. talking about your process. One of them is right. what information do I want to share? Yeah, there's a, there's a bias mm -hmm. that, that exactly. is a personal bias that you are putting your fingerprint on yes. as to what you deem as important or valuable yes. or shareable. Mm -hmm. And then also how you show it when it comes to yes. the actual presentation of the information. Yes. And being able to think about all the different ways that it can be presented. Yeah. Not just as big numbers. Yeah. Um, as sometimes you see when you Google search yeah. data visualization. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about, but in the intersection of two different sets of data and, mm -hmm. and sort of revealing those invisible right. things. There are a lot of different ways that yeah. you can present the same information. Exactly. And the the viewers, the people reviewing or reading that are mm -hmm. going to take something different away mm -hmm. from it, right? It's yeah. part of that idea of storytelling or yeah. story building. Yeah. Is that also something that you, you push the students to do is yes. like maybe form different narratives or form different stories with with the data that they're working with? We do. So especially in my classes for our major students, we do a lot of exercises of just playing around with different forms and to experience with how different forms could um, be used for the same kind of data and what kind of uh, outcome and results that you will get from an audience's point of view. And uh, it's also, uh, I think it's a very interesting notion about the idea of bias versus unbiased. Mm -hmm. Because I for, I also practice information design data visualization um, for myself, um, on my own. And my own experience tells me it's almost impossible to think of data as totally unbiased. Yeah. Right? The, from the beginning, like you mentioned, when you are collecting data, when you decide what is this 
what is the data, part of the data, or you want to show, and what is the most interesting story. There are always these um, subjective thoughts putting into this process. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know whether it's uh, there's a, maybe another term to call it biased or unbiased, but it's impossible to have something completely objective. <laughs> yeah, it, it's imprinted. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something that is, I think, a, a different challenge for designers because mm -hmm. one of the, the mantles that the designer tends to wear is that we're designing for other people. Yes. Um, and I think this, you, you give the, them, the student something to wrestle with mm -hmm. in this project because while the project is designing to present information, yep. mm -hmm. the information is also about themselves. And mm -hmm. so they're not just designing for other people. Yeah. Um, yep. But that balance that you're having to do it, I think there's a really interesting quality to that mm -hmm. when we start to think about how this is training students for the workplace yeah for, mm -hmm. for when they they enter into what they will be doing next mm -hmm. maybe before I say what I'm thinking um, tell me <laughs> tell me what link you see um, between designing for yourself and your students future work uh-huh so um, the obvious class objective is about um, kind of beefing up two major skills, obviously, data literacy and visualization. Um, but I, it's not just about numbers and pretty charts. It's also about like firing up those analytical and creative muscles in your brain to train them to be um, excel in blending analytical and thinking with creative expressions. So um, like the, the part of... Uh, designing for yourself, I think it is um, the cognitive part of learning and thinking about one's thinking. And also when students track their own data, it's not just an exercise in information design, it's a deep dive into self-reflection. Yeah. And so they start spotting patterns in their behavior and well-being, making those connections between what they do and how they think. And as designers, being able to critically analyze one's work and thought process is very important. Understanding their own data and behavior gives them this very unique perspective when designing for others and with others. I hope it kind of nurtures their ability to empathize and design with a very human-centric approach. Yeah, I think that touches on, since design does cover all industries, so yeah. design and law are two things that cover, <laughs> touch every industry. That's true. Um, there are a lot of topics out there that are sensitive. And so just training the students to start to be comfortable mm -hmm. with how we talk about it, how we present, how we show, yeah. how we share, yeah. how we interpret that type of information is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and it really comes to those sort of three fundamental roles of the design mm -hmm. of the work itself, right? We, we design to make things, yeah. 
to assemble them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we design to share things, which mm-hmm. certainly touches on what you're talking mm-hmm. about of the presentation uh, um, and making information more understandable. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the one I think that does get missed most often is designing to reflect. Mm-hmm. And that's what folds back on to the designer and mm-hmm. improves their skill set mm-hmm. and builds them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's interesting, I think, about this work is the intentionality of hitting all three of those categories. And it's really nice. We try. Um, and in doing so, you're able to sort of leverage this idea of visualizing the unseen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really cool launching point for the students when they're thinking about the workplace. Because mm-hmm. um, oftentimes designers fall into a particular role mm-hmm. and fall into a pattern, fall yes. into a groove. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so being able to have that level of sensitivity yeah. um, and the intentionality about what is unique about this project. Yeah. So that way all of my work doesn't start, start to look the same, yeah. start to feel the same. I approach it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allows for the unique characteristics within yes. any work project to serve be findable mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're searching for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that sort of gives them an anchor point, a different foothold mm-hmm. for them to intentionally explore the strengths of that project as something unique. Yeah, There's a lot of value in that um, for students to be able to have that sense of purpose and drive mm-hmm. as to why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, easy for designers to sort of fall into just their skill set yeah um and they prioritize the skill set of making um because we're in front of a computer or we're in front of a tablet and we have a stylist and we're just sort of there to produce things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but your anchor your leverage of this visual literacy that we're all trained in yeah having it through this lens of the personal literacy Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to understand yourself and discover yourself Mm -hmm. really starts to be kind of cool um, because it is something that's important for our own growth. And for designers, I think it's particularly important because it changes so much, Yeah. right? And changes all the time. There's always new trends, new tools, new ways of how we design things. So being able to understand who you are and as a person as a person and as a designer and how you can properly respond to those changes i think it's uh, essentially very important to yeah. be successful yeah, in your I th- career i think the the skills that you're talking about are more central yeah. to the individual yeah. um, instead of prioritizing the skills that may be more ancillary right, mm-hmm. or more extended of like, right. I know Photoshop or yeah. Illustrator. Those things are always changing. Exactly. Um, and, and so to prioritize those, it gives you sort of an unstable foundation yeah. because mm-hmm. they're, they're further away from you. Mm-hmm. But if you have that sort of core skill set build mm-hmm. up, um, the sort of, I don't think a higher level skill is the right term, but <laughs> I think I think you know where I'm going with this, yeah, of, mm-hmm. of being able to have those more immediate skills, yes. those more essential yes. skills developed. Yes. They can be applied to any software. They can be exactly. applied to any type of project. That's the um, goal. Mm-hmm. They're tools that you have 
a higher level of comfortability with. Mm-hmm. So that way you can leverage what their strengths are. Yes. And with that, um, one thing you haven't talked about yet in this process of these moving the soon to these three phases, right? Mm-hmm. They're starting with this idea of data collection. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then they're interpreting and giving understanding and giving meaning to it. And mm-hmm. then they're visualizing mm-hmm. it. And in that visualization, what do these deliverables look like? Mm-hmm. What, what are they working towards in your class? Yeah. So um, the final project usually are those uh, um, awesome posters, <laughs> <laughs> digital or printed. And uh, we've been also um, playing around with other forms and mediums too, like uh, motion graphics and mm. the digital dashboard. Oh, and uh, there was also this one year where the class did um, data physicalization installations uh, all over campus. And, uh, and this is how it works. Students pick a wellness topic that a lot of people are into, and then they build these uh, cool physical structures and set them up in um, busy spots on campus, around campus. And those structures include components that let anyone walking by to by adding their own data using fun, tangible materials like paper, streams, um, stickers, pom-pom balls, beads, things like that. And uh, that year, it was right before COVID. It turned out to be a huge hit. Like we gathered a lot of data, shared ideas, and we saw people are like making conversations with strangers in front of it because they notice some interesting patterns or they are sharing their own ideas of, uh, for example, what a good night's sleep is. And mm-hmm. it was just amazing to see also the creative ways people use those materials to represent their own unique data points. Yeah, there, there's something really beautiful about designing for other people to design. Yeah. And I think that's a, what you're talking about of mm. having the students in your class create an environment, create a situation, yes. a context in which other people are being invited to participate too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't often budget time for that level of research, that primary research, if, right. if we use our academic terminology of going out and doing things to collect that real-time data, right? the in the now. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, I, I see designers just relying on anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. or maybe the information that they're trained on 15 years ago <laughs> um, <laughs> as their foundation uh-huh. hasn't evolved and, and being able to sort of emphasize that or prioritize that's a really cool thing to show how it can be used and abused by uh-huh. by the public yeah when students start changing what yeah. you designed or affecting yeah. it in different ways either in an intentional or unintentional uh-huh. way uh-huh. Um, it really I think opens up the students yes. um, to there's a vulnerability there but also opens up of just like there are a lot of good ideas out there oh totally and so being able to fold those fold more people into the project mm-hmm. is always going to yield a more richer, a mm-hmm. more complex mm-hmm. solution yes. um, versus having your students just design on an island, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Just sort of get buried away mm-hmm. in front of a screen somewhere mm-hmm. and then emerge with a final deliverable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, both I think you're talking about that in, in uh, 
current setup of the classroom of that sharing and those discussion moments yes allow mm -hmm. for students to sort of think and process but then also in, in that sort of public installation right yeah mm -hmm. you don't get a chance to think you just sort of walk up the next day and see what happened yes. <laughs> over the last mm -hmm. 24 hours, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which gets to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. With this project, mm -hmm. um, what additional layers of complexity um, or interesting things do you see as opportunities for the future of this? Where do you see it going? Because hmm. one of the things I'm curious about, um, all the talk is AI. <laughs> chat gpt uh -huh. all of these new digital interfaces that are doing uh -huh. thinking for us right supposedly right. Um, and and so you're putting a lot of pressure on the student to be interpretive and to understanding and to being the engine of this yeah do you see a role for some of these ai software systems mm -hmm. um, being a component of that and if so how maybe could you speculate mm. where where that could have a home within a project like mm. this of this under this idea of designing for yourself right right um that's a really interesting question i haven't put much thought about how to integrate um ai i think mainly as in um the tools that can creating visual images and the tools that is a chatbot that can help you to think um, like formally into the project. But I've been using those things myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> honestly. And uh, I do think there are a lot of potentials. Um, I mean, for the for like the image creation tools like Midjourney or um, um, DALL-E, I think it's a great tool that can help you critique in a classroom. Mm. And uh, because um, the critique process is always, um, especially for beginning designers, it's uh, a challenge because they feel um, that being, it's, um, they just don't feel comfortable of being criticized on their work, although yeah. we always try to emphasize your work is separated from yourself. Yeah, you have a and, sense of pride uh, when you make something. Yeah. It's like, I did it. Exactly. It's like, oh no, this, this is yeah. one of many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I do see the those image creation tools could be um, using different prompts and see what kind of uh, images that's being generated. And uh, so it's generated by the machine. It's not by anyone. There's no personal attachment yeah. to those things. So it could be good examples for critiquing as in pointing out right design principles or what works and what doesn't. And from this very, like, just uh, speculator using those images as the examples of uh, evaluating what works and what doesn't. Yeah, just to mm -hmm. have that. Here's what my idea was. Yeah. And then comparing that or contrasting that to maybe some of these other uh -huh. ideas that are out there uh -huh. using a similar prompt. Obviously, it's uh -huh. not the same because you can't embed all of your knowledge, right. all of the information in, into right. the prompt. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting as a point of comparison. Yeah. And I think there is something really valuable to that. I mm -hmm. even 
for this podcast, I use Chat GPT. <laughs> Um, and, and it's interesting. And uh-huh. the way I do that, um, uh-huh. we have these conversations. I yeah. sit down and I, I talk to my guests. And when I'm trying to sort of give a summary of it, I have an right. idea of sort of how the conversation went, what the flow of it was, yes. what the main t- topic mm-hmm. points were. And it's interesting for me just to contrast it to yeah. taking the transcript. Yeah. And putting it into Chat GPT and being yeah. like, give me a summary of this. Yeah. And, and asking exactly. it to process it and seeing where we align mm-hmm. and what interesting sort of bits of the mm-hmm. conversation it mm-hmm. chooses to highlight that I didn't, I maybe overlooked. Yeah. Uh, um, and so it's interesting because it reveals maybe some of my blind spots, my biases, mm-hmm. right? Of like, oh, well, yeah, everyone knows that, and so I don't yeah. think I dismiss it or, um, or I, I don't emphasize it. Yeah. Whereas it sees so, there, there's something interesting there, and, and uh-huh. so it includes oh, that totally. a, as part of the, the primary yeah. big three ideas or whatever it is that we're I, being discussed. I do encourage my students to use ChatGPT, and I was surprised that how underused they were mm. among students, if they were honest, <laughs> yeah. when, I, when I asked them how many they used. And uh, because I do think it's a great thoughts partner. I, I consider it as a thought partner uh, in the process of ideation, like and, yeah. uh, like you said, summarizing some of the um, findings that you have identified. And uh, sometimes you can also, it can also point you to like those um, like undiscovered territories and uh, things that you haven't thought of. It's a great tool. Like in um, like for this particular class, I think um, one thing is uh, it could be used as an analysis tool uh, for mm-hmm. um, finding the most frequent words. For example, it could do some of the um, beta data analysis for you. Um, but on the other hand, I do hope students understand what that means and what really why they need it. Yeah, it's and, not outsourcing uh, the work. Yeah, but it's you're doing the work, and then you're having it be a checker to it or, yeah. or a companion with it, so that yeah. way you can yeah. have a sense of redundancy to make right. sure that you're maybe exploring the entire solution mm-hmm. space. That yeah. you're not just sort of seeing one pathway and going after it. Totally. By identifying what yeah. are the other pathways, right. what are the other possibilities yeah. that could. And also maybe pointing out some of the connections that you haven't thought of, yeah. right? I mean, how um, my, um, my activity may have some effects on my surrounding environment, for example. So maybe some of the things that are not very obvious to you, but those AI chatbot, maybe they will pointing out some of the those um, connections that's it's not very obvious to students who just stepped into this field. Yeah, and in that way, it almost serves as a sounding board mm-hmm. uh, for you to be able to sort of like yeah. tease through your ideas or exactly. tease through the information with of yeah of of being able to explore in different ways i th- yeah. i think that's an interesting opportunity yeah. it is um it is i haven't the, done anything yet yeah. but it's uh i mean if we're going to do it in a classroom i think we need to be careful right of uh, how much that we um we want students to really relying on it. We don't want yeah. them to rely on it too much. Yeah, it, it could be interesting almost in, in the final week. Um, they create the project. 
right. they create something. Oh, and then I like after that. they feel like they completed it, mm-hmm. what's the alternative? Yeah. <laughs> and say, yeah. see if it's similar or different uh-huh. uh, as, that, as part of that reflection, as yes. part of that sort of like, what could I have done differently to maybe mm-hmm. expand my own lens mm-hmm. um, to yeah. have a, a wider sense of scope? Yes. Um, because I didn't think about that, and that's interesting, mm-hmm. whoever that is. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's, yeah, I think that'd be a, a fun sort of area to explore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. again, controlled, uh-huh. thoughtful, uh-huh. But, but, but see how that could affect, especially uh-huh. when you're thinking about yourself, because mm-hmm. typically it stays within your head, Yes. or you maybe just share it through a few people that you have confidence in. Yes. But even when you're sharing it, with a few people that you have confidence in, it's still a filtered thing. Yeah. Whereas this sort of digitized yeah. processor, yeah. you can be a little more truthful, maybe yeah. a little more honest, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Um, and to see how it responds to that. Yeah. Um, as that sort of internal dialogue mm-hmm. for yourself, mm-hmm. um, it could pure prove useful. It could mm-hmm. be just sort of an interesting companion to. Yeah. To your own sort of journaling, your own exercises, your own activities. Yeah. So I, while I do encourage students to experiment with chatbot and things like that, but I always tell them you cannot just relying on it completely and using its thoughts as for your thoughts. Absolutely. Because that's a very dangerous zone. And uh, that means you are replaceable. You could be replaced (laughs) by the uh, AI. And so how to... I mean, make it to work for you, right? To yes. boost up your creativity, to uh, help speed up your creative process or making you yourself more valuable in the process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the value lies with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the one question I want to end with mm-hmm. um, for this conversation is based on your experience as a design educator mm-hmm. um, and maybe within the scope of this project, mm-hmm. what is one step people can take today to start mm-hmm. thinking through design? Right. Um, so let's circle back to what we've been talking about, which is something personal and something practical. And uh, design at its heart is about identifying a need and then coming up with creative ways to improve the situation. And uh, let's be real that we all got something in our lives that we're not completely (laughs) satisfied with. Absolutely. So here's what I suggest. Pick one thing in your life that you feel could be improved. It could be anything, really. Maybe you want to get more exercise, get uh, eat a bit, eat a little bit more healthier, or even just reorganize that messy kitchen drawer so you can find your favorite spoon faster. Uh, The thing is, only you know what you really need. And once you have pinpointed that need, start brainstorming ways to improve it. And remember, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Small steps can make a big difference. And also, let's not forget that design is all about trial and error. 
So if your first attempt doesn't pan out, no worries. It's totally okay to fail, and uh, just uh, dust yourself off and think of a new approach and give it another shot. And、uh, that's usually how great design happen. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I think oftentimes we don't give ourselves time to just sort of. Say what the problem is.、Mm-hmm. We experience the problem. Yes.、Um, but it's sort of in that sort of deeper knowledge that we know about ourselves,、mm-hmm. and until we sort of give time to pause. Yes. Think about what it is, and、mm-hmm. I really like what you're talking about. This idea of trial and error. I think one thing,、um, and the students I work with, they tend to measure the success in terms of attempts. Like oh I tried it once and it didn't work out and、mm. then they move on,、oh. and instead of thinking about it as like I tried and failed、right. or I tried two times,、yeah. I I frame it to them as think about in terms of time,、yeah. give yourself a window of time to experiment、yeah. or explore. So with that kitchen drawer or <laughs> exercise or thing, give yourself time,、yep. and if it's Three days or three weeks,、mm-hmm. and just within that three weeks, you're going to try different things,、mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily keeping track of those attempts. Yeah, but just okay. I have three weeks to try and get this under control. Yeah,、um, three weeks to problem solve、yes. and to come up with a a better way of doing it. Don't、mm-hmm. have to be perfect. It'll never be perfect、mm-hmm. um, because the the situation always will be it's dynamic and、mm-hmm. it'll always be changing. Yes, but how can I improve the situation in a given period of time、mm-hmm. versus feeling like it's a A failed attempt, yes, and then another、mm-hmm. failed attempt.、Mm-hmm. No, it's just you're exploring within time. Yeah,、uh, maybe it's a little more optimistic of an approach, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's how I like to think about it. So excellent. Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate your time. Oh, it's、um, my total pleasure. <laughs> I also want to thank our listeners, and I appreciate your attention. And I hope this episode has provided you with something to consider. I'm your host Adam Fromey, and this has been Thinking Through Design. Thinking Through Design is produced by Adam Fromey and recorded in sunny Columbus, Ohio, at the College of Arts and Sciences Digital Media Studio in Hagerty Hall on the campus of the Ohio State University. Music is relaxed, part one by the notable Paul Nini. I'm Eva Dale.